You're listening to a sermon preached at First Baptist Church in Farwell, Texas. We are committed to loving God, loving people, and going into the world to share the gospel. We pray you find this message both challenging and encouraging. If you have your copy of God's Word or ability to get to God's Word, I want to invite you to Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 8. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. As you're turning there, I want to tell you a story of a, of a man who was very critically ill. and His wife finally talked him into going to the doctor. He didn't want to go, but he was, day by day, he was just getting more and more sick. To the point where he couldn't deny it anymore. And so he and his wife, they went to the doctor. His wife stayed out in the waiting room as he went in to visit with the doctor. And after the doctor and the nurses ran all of their tests, they came back and the doctor said, Sir, it's, it is very critical. Um, matter of fact, it is so critical. I, I, I would really rather tell your wife and allow her to tell you. Of course, the man walked out into the waiting room to get his wife and was beside himself. His wife goes in to visit with the doctor, and the doctor says, Listen, your husband is under extreme stress. So much so that he could die at any moment if the stress gets any greater. He says, So what I need you to do is I need you to do everything you can to not allow him to get stressed. I need you to do everything in your power to reduce the stress in his life. So like, when you go home tonight, make sure that the kids aren't running through the house and arguing and fighting. Make sure that he's not under that type of stress. As a matter of fact, cook his favorite meal. And, and as he is eating, you might even want to kind of rub his shoulders to make sure that he is not under any stress. And as he gets done eating, allow him to go in and sit at the recliner and watch whatever sports or whatever he likes to watch. and Just allow him to decompress when he gets up in the morning. Make sure breakfast is ready. His favorite breakfast. Biscuits and gravy. Amen? And make sure as he is Enjoying his breakfast, the kids are getting up ready to go to school, and you're, I mean, you are doing everything you can to reduce the stress in his life. You are waiting on him, you are serving him so that he doesn't stress out and, and die. This is very critical. The husband's out in the waiting room, and he is beside himself. And finally, his wife comes out, and he's, Well, tell me, what did the doctor say? She said, You're going to die. <laughs> You're, you're going to die. This morning, in Acts chapter 6, I want to talk about peace under pressure. Peace under pressure. Offensive statements are seeds. Offensive actions against you or someone else you love are seeds. And when those seeds are planted in fertile soil, they grow deep roots. They grow large, massive, strong trunks. 
And those seeds, when planted in fertile soil, grow far-reaching branches. And on the end of those branches, bear the fruit that feeds the army that is fighting against you. Let me say that again. Offensive words, offensive actions are seeds. And when you allow those seeds to be planted in fertile soil, those seeds grow deep, deep roots. Trunks grow large, massive, and strong. And the branches grow far-reaching. And on the end of those branches is the fruit that feeds the army that is fighting against you. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I want you to write this down. My word, not, not this part, let me just say this before I get to the... <clears throat> my words are not import, more important than God's words by any stretch of the imagination. We're going to see an incredible example of how to live in peace under pressure to a man named Stephen. But I want you to get what I'm about to say. Right here. You ready? Write this down. Personalize this. My heart does not have to be fertile soil for offensive statements made against me or against those I love. My heart, brothers and sisters, cry, our heart doesn't have to be fertile soil for offensive statements made against us or those we love. <laughs> offensive statements are going to come, aren't they? Offensive actions are going to come against us, aren't they? Maybe already this morning. Maybe it's happened this past week. A boss, a co-worker, an employee hasn't treated you the way you expect to be treated. A, a teacher or a coach hasn't treated you the way you deserve to be, to be treated. A spouse isn't responding the way that you think that they should respond to you. Someone is speaking ill of you on social media. Listen, offensive statements, offensive actions come. But hear me. It is up to us as Christians if we are going to live offended. That is a choice that we get to make. Listen, when these and numerous under others, I've given you a couple examples, when these and others offensive statements or actions come against us and we allow these offenses to take root, listen, we are feeding the army that is fighting against us with the fruit that is growing on the branches we allowed to grow in our own heart. Listen, the strongest a Christian can be is when he bows his knee before the Lord. It's the strongest we can be. It's when we bow our knee before the Lord. 
when we daily bow our knee before God, listen, we can stand under the, the, uh, the pressure. We can stand under the pressure. We can have the peace under pressure of our persecutors. And modeling the courage that inspires us not to allow these offenses to take root in us as a man named Stephen. And he is the central figure in our text this morning. And God willing, if God allows us to come back this next Sunday, we will continue through Stephen's story, his, his message, his sermon, if you will, in chapter 7. Stephen is... I, I want you to get this. I don't want you to miss this part about Stephen. Stephen was just an ordinary guy. He was a man that sinned like we sin. He's a man who struggled like we struggled. He was a man who had a sinful nature just like we have a sinful nature. He's just an ordinary Christian, but he had the boldness to push faith to the limits, trusting in God alone. That might be what set him apart than other people. He, he trusted in God and in God alone. And Stephen shows us how to live true to the Lord despite external pressures. He shows us how to live faithful to the Lord when offensive statements and actions come against us. So let's dive in. Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 8. Let's look at it as in its entirety in 8 through 15, and then we'll come back and we'll unpack it. Now Stephen, listen to this description of this new brother in Christ. Christian. Now, now Stephen, full of grace and power, <clears throat> was performing great wonders and signs among the people. Verse 9, Opposition arose, however, from some members of the Freedmen Synagogue, composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and some from Cilicia and Asia. And they began to argue with Stephen. Literally, as he was preaching in the synagogue, people began to pop up and began to argue with Stephen as he is teaching. Verse 10, but they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. Then they secretly, these people who were coming against Stephen, they, they secretly persuaded some men to say, we heard him, speaking of Stephen, we heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. They stirred the people, they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, so they came and seized him and took him to the Sanhedrin. This is a group of people. This is the, the court of 70, the religious court. The same people who, who crucified Jesus, who, who, uh, who, who Jesus had to stand behind, in front of, and they, they condemned Jesus. The same group of people who all the apostles stood before, and they told them to keep their mouth shut, not to talk about Jesus as the Messiah. And here we have Stephen in front of this same group of people. Verse 13. They also presented false witnesses who said, This man never stops speaking against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say, This Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. Look at verse 15. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin, all of the religious court, looked intently at Stephen and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Now, that doesn't mean that he was some good-looking fella. He might have been. We don't know. But that's not what it's, a referencing, it's referencing to. It's saying this, that in the face of pressure, in the face of persecution, there was a calmness. There was an assurance about him. 
Who is this man named Stephen that we can learn from? Uh, We were introduced to him last week in Acts chapter 6. He is one of the seven whom was chosen to take care of the senior saints. Do you remember the apostles were, were getting some, uh, some backlash? Some people were beginning to grumble and complain that some of the seniors, some of the, the Hellenistic Jews, the, the, uh, the widows were not being taken care of. And so they, they chose seven who uh, remarkably were seven Hellenistic men, Greek-speaking Jews to take care of the Greek-speaking widows. And Stephen was one of those seven. He was a godly man, a Christian, a believer in Jesus Christ. He was part of this new group of people that didn't even really have a name yet. We were introduced to a little bit of a name last week, disciples. Not talking about the apostles, but a disciple. He was a a follower of this man named Jesus Christ. But this is only a portion of his Christ-like contribution to the church taking care of the senior saints, being a follower of Christ. The name Stephen comes from the Greek word Stephanos, which means a crown. It's, it, he, was, he was named after the crown that they would place on the athlete's head they, when they won in some competition. It'd be much like us wearing a, a ribbon today or a, having a, a, a trophy. This, Stephen was named after that crown. Stephen's reputation, as Luke records in verse 8 of our text, he says he was full of grace. He was full of power. What does that mean? Full of grace. It is a character trait that does not come naturally, right? Like, grace does not come naturally to us. Right? I mean, it is not, it is not natural for us to be gracious to other people. That is something that Jesus births into us, the power of the Holy Spirit after we become a believer, that we become gracious, that we become generous to other people. That is, a, that is the fruit of someone who is a believer, that there is, there is, a, there is a graciousness about them, and, and it is a growing graciousness. And it says this about Stephen, he was a man full of grace. Grace epitomized this man named Stephen, but it doesn't just say that. It says he was full of power. Meaning this, he had incredible influence specifically over the Hellenistic Jews, these Greek-speaking Jews. So he, full of grace, very gracious, very generous to, to, to the lost people, but also to the brothers and sisters in Christ. And he is full of influence. He, he has major influence over these new brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, here's if you could if you could just kind of summarize what that means is this that Stephen was a man that was allowing God to use him in a mighty way. Something every single one of us who call ourselves believers, who's been washed by the blood of Jesus Christ, can allow God to do. To allow God to use us in a mighty way. Here's Stephen saying this my yes is on the table. God, however you choose to use me, wherever you choose to use me, in whatever situation you choose to use me, yes, God, I am yours. That's the picture of who this Stephen is. But as verse 9 reveals, this dark cloud of opposition begins to roll in. Listen, anyone can be like Christ when everything is going their way, right? 
Any of us, when, when, when just things are kind of clicking along and, and nothing, is, nothing is breaking down, no one's coming against us, we can, we can be gracious, we can be generous, we can be kind, all of those things. We can be loving, we can be Christ-like. But, but when the opposition begins to roll in, what happens at that point? Well, we see in verse 9, opposition is, about, is rolling in. When, when offensive statements, when affiction, offensive actions begin to be poured out on you or on someone you love, how do you respond? How, how, do, how do we respond? Well, we see in Stephen. Stephen exudes peace under pressure. And what an incredible example for us to learn from this morning. Four times in our text this morning, offensive actions or charges come against Stephen. The first two offensive actions come from an unlikely source. The first two are from his own people. His, his, own, his own kind, if you will. They're, they're Hellenistic Jews. They're Greek-speaking Jews. People who were not born in Jerusalem, who speak Greek, but have, who have moved to Jerusalem after Pentecost. In the persecution comes from his own people, which we know this, right? We, we, we have felt this, that when, when someone says something or does something that is offensive against us, and it's like if it's an outsider, if it's somebody we don't know, we, we might be able to shrug that off. But if it's somebody within our own family, the, the burn hurts a little more, doesn't it? It stings a little bit more when it is someone, when it is a close friend or it's somebody within our family, it, it hurts deeply. That's what Stephen is coming up against. Look at, look at verse 8. Now Stephen, full of grace and power, is performing great wonders and signs among the people. God was using him in a mighty way. Opposition arose, however, from some members of the Freedmen's Synagogue. This is one of the many uh, Greek-speaking synagogues that are in Jerusalem. Composed of both Cyrenians and Alexandrians and from Cilicia and, and Asia. And they began to argue with Stephen. Here he is, Stephen is, is standing in the synagogue and he's taking his turn and he, he stands up and they all give him attention and he begins to talk about Jesus being the Messiah. This one that we saw, this one that we saw do the miracles, this one that we saw he was, was crucified and we saw that he was buried and he was raised and over 500 people uh, saw him and, and many of them touched him and we know that he is the Messiah, the Son of God. And as he is preaching, as he is teaching that Jesus is the Messiah, some of his own people begin to pop up in the synagogue and argue with him. And he, he just, they just have this debate that goes back and forth. They dispute what he is saying. In the same way the, the Pharisees had resisted Jesus' words. It's the same way as every time Jesus would do something, you would have the Pharisees always nipping at His heels, always griping, always complaining about something that He was doing. This is exactly what's happening to Stephen. All of this going on from Stephen's own people. Greek-speaking Jews. King David puts it into words, the pain of being hurt by your own family. I believe these are the closest that possibly we could feel of what's going on with Stephen. 
Listen, look, look with me in Psalm 55. Listen, listen to the words of King David as he reveals the pain of being hurt by a close friend or maybe somebody that's even in his own family. God, listen to my prayer and do not hide from my plea for help. Pay attention to me. Answer me. I am restless and in turmoil with my complaint because of the enemy's words, because of the pressure of the wicked, for they bring down disaster on me and harass me in anger. My heart, listen to these words, my heart shudders within me. Terrors of death sweep over me. Fear and trembling grip me. Horror has overwhelmed me. I said, if I only had wings like a dove, I would fly away and find rest. If I could escape the pain that I am feeling, I would escape it, is what David is saying. Verse 7, how far away I would flee, I would run. This is King David. And before God, he is expressing the hurt of what it feels like to be hurt by somebody within his own family. I would, how far away I would flee, I would stay in the wilderness. I would hurry to my shelter from the raging wind and the storm. Skip down to verse 12. We see it here. Now it's not an enemy who insults me. Otherwise, I could bear it. Right? We've been... We've been offended by an enemy. We've been offended by somebody that has no say in the game. Somebody way on the outside. That's, we can shrug that off. That's what he's saying here. Otherwise, I could bear it. it. It is not a foe who rises up against me. Otherwise, I could hide from him. But it is you, a man. He's not talking here about God. He's talking about a man. He's not talking about deity. He's talking about a, a man. It is a man who is my peer. My companion. Listen, a good friend. This is who he is saying he would escape from. This is who he's saying is is coming against him that's causing all of this hurt. It is you, a man who is my peer, my companion, a good friend. We used to have a close fellowship. We walked with the crowd into the house of God. This is somebody that we fellowshiped with, that we discipled one another. We used to walk into the house of God. And now this person has come against me and it hurts God and I want to run from it. This is the pain that David is talking about. Listen to how much it hurts. Look at, listen to verse 15. And this is why I love Psalms. Psalms is raw. Psalms is like raw as life. Like raw, life can get ugly, right? Life can be painful. Life can just downright stink sometimes, right? That's what we read in Psalms. Listen to what David says. David says something that is, it sounds weird because what I'm about to say, it sounds unbiblical what David is about to say, and it is. It's ungodly what David is about to say, but listen to what he says in verse 15. Let death take them by surprise. Who? The person that he used to walk into the church with. Somebody that used to be his close friend, but has now hurt him, wounded him deeply. And that pain of that, listen, let death take them by surprise. Let them go down to Sheol alive. Let them go to hell alive is what David is saying. Don't kill them first. I want them to feel every single bit of it. That's, that's not godly, right? It's not. But he, we just see, this is why Psalms is so raw. It's so, it's so real. It helps us understand 
The pain, and, and here's the best part, it helps us to know what to do with our pain. It helps us to know what to do with our hurt. What is David doing? He is going to God in his prayer closet and he's crying out to God, this is the hurt I feel. This is the pain that I am going through. I hate it so bad that I, I just want you to wipe that person off the map. But I don't want you to kill them. I want you to send them to hell alive. That's pretty brutal, isn't it? Verse 15. 14. No, 16. I'll get there. But, it's like the Holy Spirit gets a hold of David. But, I called to God, and the Lord will save me. You see that? I called to God, and the Lord will save me. This is David in his prayer closet. This is not David before Goliath. What do we see David before Goliath? He's bold, right? He's not afraid. He's talking smack to Goliath. But he's been in his prayer closet before. This isn't David in front of the bear. He's bold in front of the bear. He kills a bear with his bare hands. Why? He's been in his prayer closet. This isn't David in front of the lion that that he kills with his bare hands as well. This is why why does he have that that kind of boldness? Because he's been in his prayer closet. He's been crying out to God something like this over and over and over. And he's saying, God, I, I need your strength. I know that no matter what happens, you will save me. Listen, this this is David before he is able to stand tall before he is able to stand resolute, before he is able to stand unwavering in his commitment to the Lord, he spends time in prayer and he doesn't allow the offenses to take root. Same with Stephen. See, see sometimes, we, sometimes we want to have that type of boldness, but we're not willing to go to the prayer closet and cry out to God. We want to be bold in front of our enemy, but also be bold in front of God who knows how weak we really are. May we learn to share our hurt with God. Hear me when I say that. May we learn to share our hurt. That's what Psalms teaches us. That we can share our hurt. We can share our pain. We can even say unbiblical things to God knowing that He knows what we really need. We see it over and over throughout the Psalms. And as we fall on our knees before God in our prayer closet, knowing that He hears us, knowing He understands us, trusting that He will endow us with power of the Holy Spirit to reject offensive statements and actions from ever taking Notice Stephen's response to the pressure. Verse 10. But they were unable to stand up against his wisdom and the spirit by whom he was speaking. He was unmoved. He was resolute. 
He stood tall. He stood, he stood strong. As the arrows began to, began to come his way, as some of his own people began to uh, holler out offensive statements to him and offensive actions, he was able to stand there strong and not allow those offensive actions to take root in his own life. Listen, when the pressure became heavy, Jesus spoke through Stephen and he will do the same thing to us as well. When the arrows fly our way, he will speak through each one of us. Listen, retaliating in the flesh will only lead to defeat as you plant an orchard with the seeds of a fifth. As we try to think, I, I hear that offense, and I'm saving that. I'll get you back one of these days. It'll come back. Listen, what you're doing is you're planting an orchard that will feed Satan's army that is fighting against you. Can't do that. Look at the second offense. The second offense is false accusations. Unable to cope with Stephen in direct confrontation, the Jewish leaders began to give false accusations. They, they use another tactic to falsely accuse him. Look at verse 11. Then they secretly, this is the Pharisees, they, they secretly persuaded some men to say, we heard Stephen. You know that's always like rumor when you hear that, right? We heard, we heard him speaking blasphemous words against Moses and God. That word, uh, those two words, secretly persuaded, means this. They literally paid some people under the table. They, they falsely accused Stephen by finding some people that would take a little bit of money to say whatever they wanted them to say about him. And guess what? It worked. It worked. Many in the crowd believed the false accusations. Look at verse 12. They stirred up the people. Who did? These people who were bought underneath the table to speak false accusations against Stephen. They, they stirred up the crowd. They got everybody believing that Stephen was speaking blasphemy. They stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, which with these false accusations. Look what this says. It says, so they came, verse 12, so they came, seized him, and took him to the Sanhedrin. First offense was they argued. The second offense, false accusation. But look at the third offense, exaggeration. Oh, he's, he, I mean, he's, he has a bag full of seeds already, doesn't he? Stephen does. Here Stephen stands in front of this same court of crucified Jesus. He's standing in front of the same court who's, who, who had just put all the apostles in jail and, and, and had them flogged to near death. And, and death is, is knocking at the door for Stephen as he stands in front of them. He is standing and they disdain. They hate everything about Stephen because of what he is preaching, because of what he is teaching. And all they need to convict him is trumped up in this case these false accusations and now exaggeration. Look, look at verse 13. They also not only pay some people underneath the table with false accusations, but here they also presented false witnesses who says this about Stephen. This man, 
never stops, never, notice the word, never stops speaking against this holy place in the law. Listen, did Stephen really speak incessantly without interruption? No, probably not. Listen to their exaggeration. This man never speaks against, never stops speaking against this holy place in the law. Listen, Stephen has a bag full of offensive seeds to plant in his heart if he so desired. And we wouldn't blame him. If Stephen was to come to us and say, man, this is what's happening. These, man, they're, they're falsely accusing me. I, the, I, I, I'm pretty sure that they're paying some guys underneath the table to, to falsely accuse. They, they've been, as, as I'm teaching, there's just arguing going on back and forth. There's, they're, they're not even listening. They're just, they're just arguing. And they have these false accusations against me. Now they're exaggerating about what I'm saying. If he was to come to us, the advice that we would give him was like, man, I, I, I've got some dirt on them. Here's, here's something. We, 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 would help, we would help Stephen out, wouldn't we? We would want to. We wouldn't blame him <clears throat> if he wanted to lash out. He's been publicly rejected by his own people, falsely accused. Charges against him aren't even true, and the accusers are now exaggerating what he said. But it doesn't stop there. There's another. Misrepresentation. They misrepresent exactly what he's saying. Look at what they said. For we heard him say, this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs that Moses handed down to us. What are they doing? They're taking what he said, what Stephen said, they're taking it completely out of context. They're misrepresenting what Stephen actually said. It, it, in his sermon, as Stephen is standing in the synagogue and he's preaching about Jesus, no doubt he says at some point, he's referencing what Jesus says, that you destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. But in context, which they're taking completely out of context, what is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, my body is the temple. He was speaking about his own body. You destroy my body, Jesus would have been saying. And in three days, I will raise it up. Jesus is prophesying about his own death and his resurrection. The false witnesses say, to, say Stephen claimed that Jesus would destroy the temple in three days. Misrepresenting. Misquoting taking what he said completely out of context. They distorted his meaning. Listen, when all the exaggeration and all the false accusations and the misrepresentations stop, all eyes turn to Stephen. Look at what it says in verse 15. And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at him and saw that his face was like the face of an angel. What an example. What would be said about you if you were standing in that courtroom? And all who were sitting in the Sanhedrin looked intently at Stephen, and they saw that his teeth were clenched. His fist clenched. His eyes were staring holes into them. No, no, no. Not what it says, does it? There's no outburst of revenge, which we would not blame him if he did. 
What an incredible testimony to the amazing presence of God in Stephen's life. Oh, what an incredible example for us to follow. Offenses are going to come. Offensive actions are going to come directly at us. They're going to come to those that we love. And how did Stephen do it? How did Stephen be able to stand there and how could they look at him and say, man, there's, there's peace on this guy. There's, there's love on this guy's face. There's grace on this guy's face. How was he able to do it? It goes all the way back to verse 8. Now Stephen, full of grace, full of power. Listen, the same grace and power made available to Stephen is made available to you and I. Stephen wasn't some special super saint. He was a regular old Christian. That every one of us have the same power, the same authority that he had. Listen, the strongest, I'll say it again, the strongest a Christian can be is when we bow our knee to the Lord. And when we daily bow our knee before God, we can stand in peace under pressure of our persecutors that's that's the fruit of being able to stand or being able to kneel before God and cry out to him and be able to ask him for help be able to ask him to take the pain away to be able to ask him to take the the hurt and the and the distractions away but listen that is fruit that is a benefit that you have as a child of God. And what a waste, brothers and sisters in Christ, if we waste that. If we, if we just go through life allowing offenses to stack up, allowing offenses to be planted into our heart, what a waste of the power of God that He has given us. But oh, hear me. There might be some in here this morning and you're facing the same offenses that I am as a Christian and you have no authority, you have no power to not plant those seeds deep into your heart. You can't. There's nothing you can do. That's just naturally what's going to happen. But you don't have to. You don't have to allow that to happen. Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive you of your sins, to cleanse you and to purify you from all unrighteousness. And when He does, the same power that was in Stephen enters into you. And you can walk in freedom today and for all eternity. And I would count it a privilege this morning to pray with you if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ to do that here in just a moment. Our praise team is going to come up and we're going to have a time of response. And as they come, this is an opportunity for you to respond to the message. Listen, maybe you've been planting and maybe there are some roots that run deep in your heart and they're, man, they're mangled. They're, they're ugly roots. They're down there. They're twisted up. They're turned. And it, might take some surgery. But I know a surgeon. <laughs> I know the great physician. And he will kill those roots. And he will pull out those stumps. Listen, you don't have to continue to feed the enemy that is fighting against you with the fruit that you planted. You don't have to do it anymore. God will take that. Give it to him. Maybe you need to come down to the steps and just pray and ask God to remove whatever seeds that you have planted today, or maybe they were seeds you planted 20 years ago, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, that you're still seeing fruit. Oh, give it to God. He'll take it away. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. 
If you'd like more information about our church or have any questions regarding the sermon you just heard, we would love to hear from you. You can visit our website at www.fbcfarwell.org or send an email to info at fbcfarwell.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter by searching FBC Farwell. It is our prayer that the sermon you listened to was equally challenging and edifying to your walk with Christ. Thank you again for listening and have a blessed week.